listening to episode four of Gen X Voices with me, your host, Susan B. Bentley. I'm the Gen X Women's Coach. In this episode, I chat with Sarah Doby Bauer. Sarah's a best-selling romance author, a mental health and LGBTQ advocate with a creative writing degree from Ohio University. She lives with her hottie husband and two precious doggies in Northeast Ohio, although she'd really like to live in a Tim Burton film. You can find out more about Sarah at her author website, saradobybauer.com, and she's on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram as Sarah Doby Bauer. It was fab chatting with Sarah, and we talked about the vulnerability of men in fiction and a new generation of men opening up about their emotions and mental health. We squeed over Timothy Chalamet and discussed feeling connected and empowered through writing, including writing fan fiction. I hope you enjoy our chat and do subscribe to Gen X Voices to hear future episodes. You can connect with me and let me know what you think of the podcast on Instagram at the Gen X Women's Coach and I'm on Twitter as well as Suze BB. There you are. Hello, hi everyone Hello. that's listening in. I'm Suze, the Gen X Women's Coach, and we are chatting today with romance writer and fangirl and generally bloody amazing human being, Sarah Doby Bauer. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> Now, to give a bit of context, you, my listeners may well notice you are of the American persuasion. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, that is true. <laughs> How are things over there at the moment? Because it, it looks like complete, well, I'd say it looks like complete chaos over there, but we've equally got chaos over here. Yeah, um, no, it's good. I just don't watch the news very often. I escape into my books and my movies and generally keep kind of quiet and keep to myself (laughs) I let the world I let the world be crazy around me and I like to exist in my little bubble of zen and peace so I I think we could all do a bit more of that actually yeah let's talk about your journey because you're now you're a published author you you write what you call romance, what I would call erotica, because um, I've touched on this before with you in terms of the word romance writer for a lot of people brings up Harlequin or over here in the UK, we have Mills and Boone mm. that are very heterosexual relationships, usually very white relationships as well, um, often known as bodice rippers. But yeah. you write something very different. So tell us about how you got to where you're writing at the moment and what you enjoy about what you write. Um, well, I was always a writer, even as a little kid. And so I went to college for creative writing. So I actually used my education, which not many people can say. Um, after creative writing, I was in journalism for a long time and I hated it because it was just boring and dry and even doing columns, even like doing advice columns or anything. It's just, you have to follow these rules and it's hard to be creative and follow rules. So um, I got out of journalism. I continued writing fiction. I was writing um, a lot of paranormal romance, first of all, because I grew up on Anne Rice and all the Vampire Chronicles. So I've always had a vampire thing, and so I was writing a lot of vampire romance, and eventually 
one got picked up by a publisher and that was my first book called bite somebody it ended up being a two book series um it's heterosexual romance it's not as erotic as some of my more recent books and it's a comedy um and it just kind of snowballed from there honestly i i was writing a lot of heterosexual romance and then i started watching bbc sherlock and um, I just, thank you, BBC. Thank you, BBC. I just felt very much as many of the viewers of BBC Sherlock felt that it was that they were a gay couple, and that just and it wasn't just us. It was written that way practically. It was just so in your face. This tension and these longing looks between John and Sherlock. And I was just ticked off that they weren't getting laid. So I found fan fiction and I went to AO3 and I was like, oh, there's a bunch of people like me and they're writing John Locke. And I was like, I could totally like, I want to write my own John Locke fan fiction. And so I kind of did the opposite way. A lot of people go from fan fiction to original fiction I was just like mixing it all around. I was writing my own original fiction, then I was writing fan fiction, and then um, slowly my original fiction kind of veered towards the MM romance genre, just like John Locke. And then Call Me By Your Name came out and it became like even a bigger deal because that movie meant so much to me. And although, yay, they actually get laid in that movie, you still wanted more from you know, the Charmy fandom, the Timothy Chalamet, Army Hammer fandom. And so then I started writing that. And as the fan fiction grew, my publishing career grew. And so they've kind of grown organically together, those two parts of my career. And now I write predominantly gay romance. Um, and I love it. I have so much fun. I always joke that it's a math equation because one dude plus one dude equals two dudes and that's hotter because it's two dudes instead of one dude. So, I mean, it's, it works for me. So recently on uh, September 4th, my latest novel abstract love came out and that takes place in Cleveland, Ohio, which is where I live. And it's, um, MM romance, romantic comedy. And yes, that's most recent. So I guess that's, bringing you from the beginning to where we are now, as I still, I'm still writing charming fan fiction. <laughs> now I just finished writing a big one on AO3. So yeah. There's something about call me by your name, isn't there? And I was, yeah. I was a fan of Luca Guadagnino, the director before call me by your name. I'd seen I am love mm -hmm. with Tilda Swinton, who I just, absolutely adore she's amazing um yeah but there was something about the way he filmed it that was so natural and so just just beauty at its essence um that when call me by your name came around i i i heard about it and i was like you i was already in the fanfic community but around kind of um well, originally very originally buffy so i'm going back like 20 years i'm aging myself here in terms of what i read buffy then lost and other things as well and then coming to call me by a name and i ended up listening to the audio tape 
written by, um, sorry, narrated by Army Hammer yeah. before anything else. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and it, is abs- it was just stunning to listen to. After that, I don't think, I think I'd missed seeing the film when it, when it came out. So my first thing was the audio. Then met Timothy Chalamet and then saw the film. Oh, my gosh. That's so backwards. <laughs> it's really backward route into it. But again, I think, you know, people have spoken a lot about the relationship in that film and that it's it's beyond it being you know just just a gay relationship and Luca Guadagnino often says you know it's about love and the pair of them Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet have always said in their press as well you know love is love is love and that phrase has been taken up by a lot of LGBTQ plus um, parts of the movement which I think is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But it's then turning, I think what a lot of people don't know about is how you end up writing about real life people. And so I'm interested to hear from you in terms of like where that separation come, comes in and where the kind of fangirliness comes in as well. Does that make you're sense? Talking, yeah, you're talking about like why I write about real people or how yeah. that works. Yeah. Well, I think... <laughs> that one's really that the charming thing is just too easy because during the press junket it was like they were still in love with each other they weren't even in character anymore so for the timothy shelby army hammer fan fiction that was just like totally organic because you could look at them in an interview and be like there's fan fiction like right there like right that moment that's fan fiction um and i know some people don't like they get creeped out that you're writing like real people and putting them in fictional, often sexual positions. Um, like what right do I have to do that? But that's writing fiction always. I mean, people ask me like, do you base your characters on people? And usually no, because it's very hard to distill like, like my husband, for instance, will never be in one of my books because I can't, I just can't, that doesn't work in my brain. I can't adapt my husband into a fictional character. Um, So, but there's still all, there's aspects of my husband. There's aspects of my friends in fictional characters. There's, I'm in, like parts of me are definitely in all of my characters, but just little parts. And so you can fictionalize anything and I think it's okay to fictionalize anything because that's what we're doing we're fictionalizing it we're making it into escapism we're making our fantasies reality through the written word and that's what we do (laughs) that's our job as writers like I mean the things I write I'm happy that other people enjoy them but I'm writing them because they're my fantasies they're the they're the things I want to to read about you know, that's always been kind of with when I was younger or, you know, growing up, it was always you wanted to find these characters that you could relate to and that you you felt reflected you in some way. And so that's kind of, I don't know, that's what we're all doing. We're just writing for the fun of it. And if you're not writing for the fun of it, then you're not really doing it for the right reasons. And that's absolutely for any writing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you hear lots of times around 
people who take their writing very, very seriously and like, oh, fan fiction isn't, isn't real writing. Very, mm. I hate that very seriously. I'm a very serious writer. Oh, and it's, it's an absolute nonsense. And I, I love the way that you, you now are just absolutely doing a mix of where you're, do, you're still in fan fiction communities and you're writing published fiction as well. Um, I, I started openly showing people my other my writing which is something I never used to do before kind of like late 20s because of like fangirl communities and fan fiction communities and it's that sense of community in writing as well that we're not all you know I know it kind of looks like I'm in a little garret I swear I'm not um <laughs> But, you know, the reality of it is, is that we're not kind of all individuals writing away without any connection to other people. And that connection to other people and community is so important as well. And we've spoken before about kind of the AA3 archive of our own community and Tumblr community in terms of kind of being somewhere where, where people can come together with no judgment as well. Yeah. And do you feel that that's very different from kind of other writer communities, that judgment-free, troll-free space? I, I do feel like AO3 is very different than my um, publishing career. I specifically go to AO3 when I need like a palate cleanser. Like if I want to create something that will I know we'll just get positive feedback and we'll get the funniest comments and like a lot of flailing and squealing. Um, you know, I know to post on AO3. I know, okay, let's take a break. Let's do like a one shot fan fiction. I need to feel good about myself right now. I need some positive reinforcement. And that's a place where, where I go for that. But I think it's a place where newbie writers go for the same thing because they really want to write, they really want to create, but they're scared to go mainstream. They, they don't, they're scared to like be rejected basically, which is totally understandable. Rejection sucks. So I get that. So they'll start on AO3 and you know, they can even, they can build a fandom that way. They can make friends that way. They can get feedback if they really want it. Although that's not really what the website's about. It's more just about really having a good time and just total escapism. And then you, you have that versus like, you know, with my new book that came out, you have the bad reviews. That's, it's going to happen. Um, you know, you're going to get those one star reviews, maybe for no reason, for a reason you can't understand, but you're going to get negative reviews. You're going to get people saying not nice things about you. And so that's something you have to develop a thick skin for you have to you have to learn how to close out the negative voices and that is a learned skill that's not something you can just be like you, you can't immediately publish something your first thing kind of like you were saying you're nervous to show your work to people that makes sense because people are mean sometimes but it just feels like they're not mean on AO3 it just feels like a very safe space to start your writing career and then I've seen, I mean, I know people who have published original fiction after publishing on AO3. They've turned it into original fiction. And that's so cool. Like that's, that's the dream right there. And it started because of this positive community. Um, so it's a great, it's a great safe place. 
sorry part of that i was going to say part of that positive community as well is that it's um an independent completely volunteer run mm-hmm. yeah as well so mm. you're you're not having to deal with the kind of trolls or the advertising it's just yeah. you know it's a tiny tiny portion in terms of kind of negative comments occasionally but i think you're right in terms of it's absolutely it's as a site it's developed that kind of all of us flailing all over each other in a really kind of like positive <laughs> yeah excitable yeah. way which yeah. is amazing because it's an amazing outlet for um different people's writing skills but also an amazing outfit for kind of like fangirling or fanboying as well yeah what is it about male male fiction slash fiction or gay fiction um that attracts more female readers than male readers do you think i think it's because men are stereotypically culturally they are expected to be very tough and very i don't want to say emotionless that sounds like a little too strong but you know they're supposed to be kind of stoic the you know, the strong man that doesn't cry or whatever, you know, all those stereotypes that we've created over hundreds of years, we have created these stereotypes for so long. And so it's really nice. I have found in MM romantic fiction to see men being soft or men being vulnerable. And there's even a point in some of the books where the guy is upset with his vulnerability because he knows the stereotypes like the character so authors we all I like when authors bring that up you know showing like oh I'm a man I shouldn't feel this way I should be strong and so it's so nice when you see them weak vulnerable um, in love fluffy I mean we just don't see that very often and you know I know we're gonna surely flail about Timothy Chalamet later a little bit more but I really enjoy him as an actor but I really enjoy him as a human being because he seems like he's actively breaking all those stereotypes and not giving a crap about what anyone thinks about it I just love that and that's why you know Harry Styles is the same for me I really love these men who are bringing androgyny into the forefront who are wearing, who look soft. They just look soft and sweet and they are sweet, you know, on red carpets, you see, you know, Timothy giving kisses to crying young men and that like, Clint Eastwood wouldn't be doing that, you know, back in the day. Um, That's what my dad always jokes about when he sees Timothy's outfits. He's like, Clint Eastwood wouldn't wear that. I'm like, no, (laughs) that's okay though. That's fine. So I think that's a big part of it. I like this shift, this cultural shift in reality, but I also like that MM Romance really brings that out. It brings out the vulnerability of of men, these men who feel the need to be very stoic in real life are soft in fiction, and that's lovely, and it's very refreshing. Let's let's flail. I don't mind flailing one bit. Um, I think I think what you said, you know, oh, I so it so resonates with me in terms of he's not Clint Eastwood and that that archetype of what what it is to be a man, but that archetype of kind of stolid, stoic, solid, 
not showing emotions mm-hmm. is actually a massive undoing for men. That's how we end up with higher numbers of suicide rates amongst young men, kind of 16 to 25, mm-hmm. because they're not being openly emotional. I don't feel that they can be vulnerable as well. So I, you know, I think that's absolutely part of the fan fiction and, and MM genre um, in terms of writing, but absolutely, my God, I would love to be seeing more of that openness and vulnerability. And I've said it to you before, what, why does there have to be kind of like, it, it feels like we, we all get allowed one of these soft boys like every 10 years. <laughs> so there was, you know, River Phoenix, Let's stick Keanu Reeves in there as well, frankly. So River and Keanu, frankly, in the same film, though, in my own private idaho, but also kind of yeah. at that point in time, 10 years later, Heath Ledger, you know, ROP, sadly cut down in his prime. River Phoenix, sadly cut down in his prime. You can understand where Timothy Chalamet is then coming from when he says openly in interviews, you know, that the, the roadmap for young actors is, is not, a healthy one it's not a pretty one at all so for him to continue being that open and um just full of emotion and showing showing his heart on his sleeve in interviews we don't know what he's like in real life other than being incredibly kind to this particular older lady on how to take a selfie with him yeah incredibly <laughs> kind to me for that one um, but I, I get the feeling that's part and parcel of his upbringing as well in terms of that openness there's a, some people have said as well it's because he's half French so I don't know what's what's in that but I am kind of like why is why is there one of these or you know one plus Harry Styles every 10 years what will it take to get more men to be open and vulnerable I don't have an answer for that do you have an answer for that no but I, I would say I think it's looking up because I think I think some of the first steps that we've seen in that direction is the embracing of androgyny in Hollywood. And Tilda is a really good example because Tilda, I want all of her clothes, by the way, but she dresses in a very masculine way. She keeps her hair very masculine. Um, And so she's a really good example of the adverse or the opposite here. We have an androgynous female who no offense to her, she's pretty stoic, you know? She's not a very emotive woman um, in interviews or anything. So she's over on this side. Then you have Timothy, you have Harry, you have Cody Fern. You have those three young men have shown up at award shows looking very androgynous. And so that's like the baby steps, I think. And then hopefully we can get a little more into the... um, you know, not just skin deep aspect of it. And I think I'm hoping that the generation, you know, Timothy's generation, I'm hoping that they are more open with their feelings. Um, And with all that they're going through as young people right now with politics in the world, I hope it has a positive effect. I hope that in time, they will be much more open about their emotional state. And, you know, you talk about like Heath Ledger is a good example. Maybe if he'd felt comfortable 
he, you know, he was very sad. You know, he, he was very, apparently very scarred from his Batman experience playing the Joker. And maybe if he had been comfortable saying that, you know, I'm sad, I need help, please help me. Like that, maybe that would have, maybe he would be here still. And so I'm hoping that this new generation as, you know, our generation, as I talk more about mental health, I try to talk about mental health and mental illness as much as I can. I hope we're teaching them that it's okay to talk about it as well and make it less taboo, less of a stigma so that more people can get help, especially men, because they won't talk about if they're having it, if they're sad, they won't talk about it because they're supposed to be strong and not get sad about things. Um, and so hopefully we can, you know, all of this hopefully is moving in that direction. I really hope it is with the androgyny and with the softness of these young celebrity men, softness in a good way and vulnerability. I hope we're moving in a good direction. <laughs> I think, I think we are. And from, from me having been a lecturer for the last couple of years, I'm not at the moment, but that was certainly kind of 18, 19 year old first years at university at college. So that's the same generation as Timmy. So Gen Z effectively, mm -hmm. if either you or me had had kids other than pet kids that absolutely count, might I just say, <laughs> um, you know, we, we would have brought, we would have been bringing out that generation, the Gen Z. And I've certainly seen, from some of those students more vulnerability in terms of kind of talking about their emotions and as political awareness that I haven't seen for a really long time as well which is really nice P political awareness with a small p just in terms of being able to talk about things and have those discussions and maybe finding a nuance in there in those discussions that the millennials before them didn't necessarily have because what you end up with social media as well is that well i'm right no i'm right no i'm right <laughs> and that's why things like ao3 and tumblr and like parts of reddit and parts of the different social media are a joy to be on oh yeah, yeah. overall she says <laughs> writing tumblr for the last week or so there seems to be some kind of big aggro going on in the kind of charmy cmbym world that i'm i'm like you i'm just like i'm zenning out of this this is the support i need at the moment so yeah i've got you know if you if you kind of wanted a positive change for kind of the world may, maybe would that be it then that hopes in that generation um i mean yeah that's part of it i a positive change for the whole world is a huge question to ask somebody, but um, I would, I think what I would really like is more patience in the world and more inclusivity because I feel that that's where a lot of these online social media fights are kind of, it's because people are very intolerant of other people's beliefs if you don't agree, then they're immediately wrong. And I hate them. Like, that's kind of how it feels right now, at least in America, it feels very intolerant. Despite what we're going through, it's kind of ironic, you think we'd be more tolerant with what we're going through um, societally, and yet it seems like we're worse than ever. And it seems like inclusivity has become exclusivity. 
um, which is very frustrating to me. Um, so I would really like, if I'm going to change the world, I want a world that is more inclusive, tolerant, and patient. That's what I, that's what I would hope for because we don't have enough of that. No matter how much we claim to, we're lying. <laughs> we don't have enough of those things. So yeah, I guess that would be what I would change in the world. Well, I think that is a beautiful thing to hope for and something that we all kind of have to kind of dig away at and strive at in our own little ways each day. I was chatting to a friend the other day and we were talking about having friendships with people who have completely opposing views. Like at the moment we've got the whole Brexit thing going on. Um, and, you know, I absolutely am mates with people who have completely opposite views from me on that particular subject. But you have enough trust between you as friends to kind of go, okay, yeah, well, I can, you know, you've got your point, I've got mine. Mm. Let's, let's discuss it or let's, you know, agree to disagree and go and have some cake. <laughs> I like that. I like option two. Let's go have some cake. <laughs> that is the answer for everything. Like, just can we talk about it over coffee and cake, please? Because that's the obvious solution for everything. Fruit cake. Yes. <laughs> I love that idea. But I think that's a great hope for the future. And as, as we both said, you know, hopefully the more people see role models of that, see people role modeling that type of behavior of having patience and understanding the more effective it is the more you know little pebbles spread big ponds or whatever the phrase is i can't remember it has to do with ripples something about ripples yeah there's ripples in there somewhere as a coach i should know that particular one i'm a writer i should know that too what's wrong with us They'll come to both of us after this recording and we'll like tweet each other and go, this is exactly what we meant to say during the podcast. Damn it. Now, we, we can't um, carry on without saying hello to the particular pet friend that you've got behind you. For people who are listening in, um, we're looking at Sarah's. Is this your office or your lounge that we've got? It's my office. Hang on, we can get a little bit closer. Miss Swift is... Oh, thank you. Do you want to say hi, Miss Rip? Let's say hi. Oh, there she is. And what's her name? Ripley. After <laughs> Sigourney Weaver, I'm hoping. Oh, yeah, after the alien heroine, of course. Yes, that's you. <laughs> Absolute gorgeous for the listeners. She, she looks like she's a mix. It looks like there's kind of pitbull staffy going on there somewhere. Absolutely. Yeah, she's a mutt dog. Yes, that's my baby girl. My baby boy is in the other room with his daddy, but they have to work in their office and we have to work in our office. So, yeah, I think there's people have been finding that more and more during these times as well. As like you, you need you suddenly find yourself having to create a lot more boundaries in your relationship around work <laughs> yeah. than you ever thought you'd have to. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Which is why the other half is banished from our little office room whenever I'm recording. <laughs> <laughs> no cameo appearances no the cat tends to um the cat came in on my um instagram a short little instagram video i did this morning about my last podcast release but he's very very camera shy so all anybody gets is just this massive amount of cat chatter whining going on 
never actually get to see him but he's my you know he's not my baby at all he's 14 but he's been an absolute there's something about having a pet that they're not just a pet they're part of your family yes and at the moment they're a massive comfort and in effect poor things have become therapy animals whether they wanted to it's true. it's true. So let's find out very, very quickly because we were just saying that I was very excited about June coming out, and you are equally excited, though you're not a big sci-fi person. No, I'm not a big sci-fi person. I had one of my friends, um, you know, I posted some gifs of Timmy's hair, basically in the Dune trailer because his hair just is unreal. I swear he's like yes. he's a mythical creature. I, he's like a unicorn. Um, but I posted some pictures and she messaged me privately. She's like, are you seeing this movie because you actually read the book or because Timmy was in it? And I was like, uh, guilty. I'm not reading that book. Like I read Atlas Shrugged. That's the longest book I'm ever going to read. And never well, you read Anne Rand. Good. I did. I read the whole thing, even the whole speech. That's it. I'm done. And so I can't, I just told her I'm not reading the book. She like is really... She's pushing it, but I'm like, uh, I can't read the book. I'm sorry to everyone out there that's watching this podcast that like loves the Dune book, but I'm not reading it. I'm just seeing the movie because Timmy's in it. I'll just be honest. So that's it. I have just started reading the book. <gasps> oh, you did? I've never read the book. And I think there's something about certain, certain sci-fi-like books from my youth. Dune is one of them. Asimov stuff is another and I didn't read them when I was younger because I think they come from a very male place and whether that's a reality or not I don't know but everybody I knew that was reading them was blokes including my dad who was a huge June fan at the time and Asimov fan at the time and that kind of put me off for years and it was only in later years I was kind of like oh there's also um Ursula Le Guin there's 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 women writing fantasy and sci-fi that um, I'd never even realised that we could do that. That's ace. <laughs> so I, I, I vaguely have started reading June online. Um, whether I actually get through any of it is another matter. I've just, I'm already like convincing myself it's probably going to be a no, quite frankly. It's, it's sitting as a tab on my computer and it's been there for a couple of weeks and I've got kind of, kind of the first few paragraphs, but I'm quite, I'm such a, a film person. I'm, you know, that sci-fi for me is film. It is Star Wars, it is Annihilation, it is Alien, literally, you know, it's, it's not about the books that they come from or kind of get turned into. It's, it's about the visual and showing the heart through the visual as well. So I, like you, am equally excited for June. Um, I, I honestly think, I think he's a phenomenal actor. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. shows. Never mind, like, you know, the side of me that's going, oh, he's like my kid, but he's not my kid. Not my kid. <laughs> I don't have those thoughts about him, but... Um, do you feel, you know, I've chatted to other women about this of a similar kind of Gen X age and they're kind of like, well, you know, is it fangirling or did you just want to mother him? It's like, I, it's, it's not motherly thoughts I'm having. Oh, I do. I'm not very, I'm not, no, nope. I don't want to be a mom. Nah. Except to my dogs. That's it. That's it. Yeah. No motherly feelings here. Maybe I, I don't, I want to play with his hair at least though. 
totally. His, his hair is fantastical. I completely agree with you on that. <laughs> We're going to finish off with one last question to you, Sarah. This is because I'm, I'm very aware that we could basically just turn this into like an hour of talking about everything, yeah. Timmy, including like how he wears his rings kind of on the very end of his knuckle, which must hurt. I don't understand. No, I, don't, I don't get how people do that. Don't they come off? I don't know. I don't understand. I love that he wears rings and I love that he wears jewelry and necklaces and Stella McCartney suits that are made for women. It's just what you're saying about the androgyny side of it, just breaking down those barriers. The next thing I want to see him in is a skirt or a dress. Oh my God. I would absolutely love that. I've known a couple of guys in my life from the States and from Berkeley, so maybe it's just something about the West Coast, that back in the 90s were very open about, um, they, they weren't trans, but they loved wearing skirts and loved wearing dresses and didn't see an issue with it. And that's wonderful to see. So I think that should be... Timmy's next challenge, please. We'll see. <laughs> so one last question for you, Sarah. If you could go back to 1992 you and give yourself a really good talking to or just some friendly advice or a good talking to, what would you like to say to the 1992 you? Don't care about what other people think. Don't compare yourself to other people. If someone makes you feel small, they shouldn't be in your life. And don't pretend to be a publicist when you're really a creative writer and you know you are. So don't do that corporate job you take when you're in your 20s, okay? <laughs> I guess that's about it. <laughs> the, the pointy finger of, of aged wisdom there was a little bit terrifying, frankly. <laughs> don't, just don't. Just don't. <laughs> No, you're going to hate it. Don't do it. I don't know what you were thinking. <laughs> but what that has done is meant that you are na able to self-publish your books because you've learned the tricks over the years and has made you a better writer as well. You know it has, other than having to deal with all the nonsense at the time. <laughs> You're right. I guess I take it back. All right. I take it back. No, you don't have to take it back. No, no, no. I do because I just realized if I hadn't taken that job, I wouldn't have met my husband. So I take that last part back. So, so never mind. Take that job. You're going to hate the job, but you're going to meet your husband. So that's fine. <laughs> life, is, life is lifelong learning though, isn't it? And that's the thing. Nothing's ever a failure. It's just a learning experience. Yes. And that's very well put. Yeah, I liked what you said just now as well about, you know, if somebody makes you feel small, they shouldn't be in your life. And that's something that a lot of us, especially women, may not learn that lesson for a very, very long time. Mm. So I think if you're able to tell yourself that when you're younger, it's amazing. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Massive <laughs> <Passive> squee. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming on so you've got a book out at the moment just remind all our listeners of what the book's called where they can get it it's called abstract love by sarah doby bauer and it's on amazon all my books are on amazon so you search my name a bunch of stuff will show up for you 
And I had used the same name on AO3 if you want to check out any of my Charmy fanfic or John Locke fanfic, Sarah Doby Bauer. Yeah, let's let's bring bring more people into the, the sect click. Yeah. Gang. <laughs> Cult, maybe. <laughs> Stop it. A little maybe a little. Maybe a little bit. Community. How's yeah. that? That sounds about good. It's been an absolute joy, Sarah, and we'll speak soon. Thank you so much for coming on. All right. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>